and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is Gary Wyatt. Gary is the author of Echoes of the Supernatural, the graphic art of Robert Davidson. Echoes of the Supernatural was a finalist for the 2023 Bill Duthie Booksellers Choice Award. On this episode, Gary talks about how he met Robert. He also talks about the impact Robert has had on Indigenous art in the region and internationally. Here's my conversation with Gary Wyatt. Maybe I'll start by asking you, uh, who are you, if you can tell me about yourself? I was born in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, 1958. And I left there after high school to go to the Alberta College of Art in Calgary. And I lived in Calgary for about six years did an apprenticeship with a fine art conservator while in the very final stages, which got me into a position at the Museum of Anthropology at UBC. So I made the move from Calgary to here. At that point, I had uh, we got married on the way, but we had a young son. And uh, she was from Vancouver and happy to be back. So we arrived here just before, really 1984, just before Expo. And Expo was kind of the changing of almost everything in terms of opportunity and the growth in terms of the art, culture, tourism industry for Vancouver. And through the museum, I had lots of opportunities working with uh, Expo. I was on the site often doing different projects. And following that and graduation from museum studies at UBC, I uh, joined the Inuit Gallery in Gastown, and I was there until 1995 when three of us reformed and started our own business, which became the Spirit Wrestler Gallery. Uh, Bridging all of that was representing Robert Davidson and many artists just like him. And uh, we had the gallery right up until just before COVID. And uh, yeah, my two partners, they they were five years older than me and ready to go. So uh, we did that. And that left me with a window of opportunity to do such things as write books. And so for those who haven't seen um, the Echoes of the Supernatural, uh, can you talk a little bit about that book and describe it for our listeners? Okay, the book is an overview of all of Robert Davidson's uh, graphic work his limited edition prints, almost fully in its entirety, but not 100%. There's about six or seven different images missing, but it is fairly complete, as well as uh, all of his paintings. And then just other examples of what he has painted on throughout his career. Because, I mean, formline design is an art form that you think of as first as a very flat art form, two-dimensional, but the applications to it in terms of how artists of great skill are able to wrap it around objects like totem poles and mass and canoe prows and as well as the square edges and the symmetry of bentwood boxes. It is a highly complex art form and 
for artists who are very proficient at it, you need to show those skills as well. So there are examples of it, but largely it is a full color extravaganza of all of his artwork. I would just encourage anybody to actually see this book in person, just to hold it, pick it up, because it is a book made by, you know, it's not just me. I mean, I initiated it, I went through it, I did every word. But it's really a, a collaborative process with Figure One publishers and various readers, family. Uh, and everybody who touched this book loved him. You know, some of them knew him, some had, you know, very brief encounters, some fairly old, but everybody wanted to be a part of it. So you knew from design, I and mean, it's a beautifully designed book. And so, you know, you take so much credit for, for the project, but then, you know, credit has to be given to everybody who touched it, and they just brought so much to it. So, yeah, if you can find it or walking through a bookstore, it will probably find you because it's just it has such a powerful presence. Yeah, it's a it's such a beautiful book because, I mean, as you said, it's a lot of the, the form line work in the back, but we do see those applications and, and the other, the diversity of the work he's done in the front of the book as well. And so for those who don't know who Robert Davidson is, can you uh, tell us who this wonderful person is? Okay, Robert is 77, born 1946, uh, originally born in Heidelberg, Alaska, but for the most part, I mean, his father was from Acid doing uh, fishing at that time through uh, an agreement with Alaska, and he and his uh, elder sister were both born there, and uh, then about the age of one and something, he returned to Massa, where he spent most of his formative years, learning how to carve, and then before transitioning to Vancouver for high school, art school, and inevitably a very long career in the arts. He would have every single award he could ever bestow upon any Canadian artist, uh, some of the most prestigious commissions, I mean, the, the greatest respect around the world for his contributions to high art. Yeah, just about uh, everything that you can can bring for Canadian artists to represent Canada and his culture on the world stage. Yeah. He's one of those artists that I think people have probably seen his work, even if they don't know it's his. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's one of those things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And how did the two of you meet? Um, we met 1987. And I, I was chasing him for a very particular exhibition, which is called Hands of Creation. It was the very first really major cataloged exhibition of the modern era. So it, it was an experiment in a number of things, which was not to pre-sell an exhibition. So that was an encouragement for people to actually be in the room. Uh, so people started to get into this uh, idea of jumping on airplanes and coming which always made them, you know, they were surrounded by other collectors. They were in a room. They were in an atmosphere where they were learning more about the art that they were buying, which made them stronger collectors for the long term. And also that we were never put in a position of a pecking order where you had to say, well, this person's bought 300 pieces, so they get first choice. And this person's bought one. And that's the order of, uh, it, it put everybody on the same level where, buying your first piece, you had an equal opportunity. 
And I think for a lot of the very senior collectors, they actually quite appreciated that aspect of it because they knew by having a younger, stronger group coming up that that was fortifying their own collecting as well, having more people who have that enthusiasm. So he agreed and came into that particular exhibition, which he had just a few works of very early of the bronze works and uh, were able to bring light to the world in that. To have those was actually a really good kickstart. I mean, we've just gone ever since 1987 forward. So I represented this work for pretty much 34 years. Yeah. And I would imagine it's gone from being a a business relationship to so much more than that, too. Look forward to that all the time. I mean, we always had a bit of that, and Robert's very good at it. Like, he doesn't let things ever get in the way. I mean, he's he's a problem solver. And so, you know, whatever is in front of him, he deals with it, which is the way he's dealt with his personal life, his art life, his business relationships. He's always been very straightforward. And he's such a nice guy that it's very easy for him to, you know, there are no bridges that he burns. He, he looks after everything. So, yes, there was many times where we were just, you know, studio visits or going out for lunch down in White Rock uh, near where the studio is or times in the gallery. And some of the big events, of course, which he has hosted in terms of potlatches and feasts, which I had the opportunity to attend. So, yeah, all of those have added up to, you know, a pretty wonderful relationship. Yeah. What are some of the greatest lessons you've learned from working and building a friendship with Robert? I think the Northwest Coast is such a unique art form because when you deal with a lot of others from the contemporary world, it's a very contract-based relationship where you sign on at the gallery and within know, certain terms, all that artwork is funneled through that gallery. That contract is your protection uh, of that relationship. Whereas we never had that. It was always a piece by piece. And in Northwest Coast, because so many artists have responsibilities to do cultural commissions, et cetera, you know, totem poles and to do mass and things that really, contracts don't really hold up that well. There's too many back doors in terms of uh, a cultural-based art form. So we just never had it. So it was always deal with what's in front of you, you know, and then, you know, build towards big events like exhibitions and things where you need artists who are good at deadlines, but, you know, also just that project junkie type of concept where they were just so, uh, so, so willing to race to that finish line with you. And, you know, then to be a part of these huge events where you have, you know, so many uh, collectors, other artists, et cetera, all, all in the same room is really quite uh a phenomenal experience. So I would say a lot of what I've really had with Robert is to appreciate the idea of experience of which he likes to create. He creates them culturally, but he creates them very personally as well. And to share that, to have people in the room has always been a big part of what he does. Because making artwork is such a very, very private thing when you are done to come out and celebrate with others. Yeah. And, you know, he has had so many close friends, ties throughout his entire career. Like they are just, you know, those who have had the long life and shared it with them, they have, uh, they've been a part of the whole journey, which is just such a wonderful part of being with this particular artist. Yeah. Uh, what first drew you to working with Indigenous art? Oh, that's, you know, it's like anything. You go through art school and you never see it. 
You know, I mean, I, I saw a little bit of it, and but I don't know if I even really had that huge connection of it even being a Canadian art form. You know, I was a prairie boy, and then I did see Pipes That Don't Smoke, Coal That Won't Burn, the Haida Argelite exhibition in Calgary, which was a big one at the time. So I had had some exposure, a little bit more working with a, uh, Andrew Todd, a conservator who at that time was in Calgary and is now out here as well. And then all of a sudden, and I think it's kind of an interesting part of the art form, of an art form that has been left out of so many things as a lot of Indigenous art forms have. They're not in the big art history books and things. But at some point, you're standing in front of it and the knees are weak and you realize that you were standing in front of something just extraordinary and powerful. So coming out here and arriving here in 84 and being surrounded by it all of a sudden, particularly at MOA, it was like just... Uh, you're understanding it from every possible way, you know, not as a knowledge base, you just visually taking it in and taking it in and then dissecting it. And then, you know, it, the rest fills in the gaps. But uh, yeah, it's just that first wave of where you get to see it in its true scale, its true color, its true feel. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty spectacular. And I think a lot of people find it that way you probably know more about this than me, but as a an, as someone who enjoys going to art galleries and uh, consuming art that way, it seems like we're, we're transitioning from Indigenous art as like artifact and like uh, something to be in a museum to something that is like art. Like it seems like it's always sat in an interesting place in between. And maybe now we're starting to understand the artistic significance of Indigenous art. I think that's true. I think a lot of it has evolved there. I think a lot of artists have been very st strongly interested in taking it there to have it seen and totally appreciated as fine art. And at the same time, many others understand that this is something that needs to be, you know, culturally explored at all times. It needs to be understood and danced and traditions have to be carried on, evolved, but still, you know, you have it's like knowing the rules. And if you want to break the rules, you have to know the rules. So when you see artists like Robert exploring pure and total abstraction, you also know that he can flip back and forth at uh, an astonishing rate. And, you know, like he, he dreams in farm life. I mean, he understands it so well that to say that he's moving in one arc away from it is an impossibility. He's, he will constantly go back and back and back. Uh, and at the same time, explore it in other ways. But yes, there is, you know, a certain sense where some artists have, have seen that as as the goal and the direction of their careers to be totally outside of anything, anything cultural. And that opens things up in terms of storytelling and mural painting from, you know, true, true formal line right through to graffiti, installation style art, uh, you know, from from comic books and uh you know, almost any possibility of what the art of the world art form can bring of artists who have embraced it. And that's powerful and interesting and I think opens a lot of doors and a lot of possibilities. And at the same time, you still see those who are very rigidly committed to making sure that the culture survives as well. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about it, about um, returning uh, Indigenous art to communities. Um, and Because Robert, this is mentioned, of course, in the book, Robert says, if you know, if every museum returned one piece of art 
uh, to Haida Gwaii, they would just have the most incredible art collection. What are your feelings on, as someone who's been so involved in galleries and museums, what are your feelings on, on that process of returning Indigenous art to the communities where they come from? It's, you know, my entire career, I was very interested in dealing with the living artist, you know, the artist who made it, who understood that they had uh, the permission, the cultural, the family rights to produce that work and to make it for sale. And so you go back into an historic art form and yes, things can become, you know, very, very murky, but a lot of institutions, and, and we've seen it with entire collections coming out and being returned to Lumistan Alert Bay, et cetera, where there has been a very definite uh, commitment and you see pieces, you know, the, some of these institutions are still very, very new. And the Nishka Museum, for example, that piece is coming from the Royal BC Museum and quite proudly wanting to support these institutions in their now uh, homeland where they originated. So I think we're seeing it. We've seen very recently over the last decade of several major totem poles that ended up in different collections, Sweden, for example, that have been repatriated back. Uh, so that is a process ongoing. I mean, a lot of the idea of the recovery of human remains that somehow ended up into museum collections and things. That's been an, an important part for the culture to seek, find, identify, and then uh, make the efforts to have things come back. So yeah, art is returning, museums are there, uh, and, and expands other things because not everybody's an artist, but then you have, uh, you understand that it is a, a huge community responsibility. And now you have curators and others who are very much involved in the support, even language programs. It, it keeps people more in tune to the communities in which that they are from. Yeah. And I, I remember last year too, when I talked to um, Karen and Jordan about their book, it was, you know, discussing too how, as you said, so much of um, the historical art has like a cultural uh, relationship with the community. It, often it was meant to be held and used and and so many indigenous communities haven't been able to have that relationship with their art because it has been away at a museum behind glass. Yes, yeah. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, the, the first major exhibition of what would be contemporary West Coast art happened in 1948 in New York City. So it, even then it was you know at such a distance and so many of the artists had to reach a point of of a career and either by invitation or their own financial means to go out there and find the art form made by their ancestors which could be you know literally all over the world and then things like attribution where you're looking at one historic artist but that work could be scattered over so many institutions like to knit all the uh different pieces, you know, somebody like Frida Deason, who just looks so hard at so many pieces to, from the idea of finding that one hand that made all these pieces that are now in different places was, you know, it was such a big process. But yeah, I mean, Robert talked about going home and you know, going door to door and finding exactly one piece of painted Bentwood box. There wasn't anything there. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what the influence of 
Robert and his art has been in a wider sense? Um, how has he impacted uh, new artists and, and just even how we understand Northwest Coast art? That, that impact is, yeah, yes. I mean, you could trace it through uh, many, many of the, the younger artists of everybody, everybody who uh, has come up as a, has looked very strongly at the work of Robert Davidson. I mean, I mentioned that. I, I thought it was such a very important story to have in the book because I experienced it so many times. Whereas, like when you got a Robert Davidson mask, it could be a one a year or maybe twice a year event, and you would get it, and possibly you could sell it over the phone. Uh, it might be that, or now with the internet, you can you know, you know you can put things out there so quickly that things can disappear almost. It's not like it's hanging even needs to hang on the wall. Uh, but when you have a have a Davidson, the young artist, if they came in, they would ask permission to see it, and they would head off into the back room, and they would be gone for an hour. They would just sit in there, and they would hold it, and they would look at it, and they would study it. And I've had some who have emerged after a time where I almost forgot they were back there, and then asked for a second visit the next day. Like it was just like you know the idea of when you're holding greatness, seeing it close up, it's just such a such a powerful experience. But he has been such a role model in terms of that you you create, you learn, you understand all the rules. Uh, yeah, you you learn your craft. You're a sculptor. You're a jeweler. You're a painter. And I mean, when you have all of those combined skills, there's nothing that you can't do. But you have to get them all. And so Robert has encouraged that. He's had numerous numerous artists go through his apprenticeship program. And uh, that's been a huge factor in putting other artists out there who are now, you know, very, very successful. But then there is a whole other level where you go right across the country and around the world. Everybody has heard of him. You know, when we engaged with our whole Maori project with New Zealand, the artists all wanted to come. And they all knew of Robert. They all knew of this work. Two artists wrote a very formal letter saying, we're coming into Vancouver and we want to spend three days with Robert. We'll do anything you ask. We'll, we'll talk, we'll carve, we'll... They went tool shopping. They left with all this West Coast technology. It was just like, you know, everybody knows of him. And, you know, probably places he has no idea that he has reached. But yeah, I mean, he has such an international respect for what he does. But that has really made a huge difference. Yeah. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about um, mentorship because... At one point, you mentioned in the the beginning of the book that Robert, of course, or maybe it was in the uh, acknowledgments, but that um, Robert was has been a mentor to you as well. Um, how important is that mentorship relationship and how he engages with you, but also with those around him? It is, uh, if you're going to represent an artist, it is probably best that the artist teaches you. I mean, that, that specific example from the book is when we were doing a, a solo exhibition of his work. And we were down in Gastown and we went out. It was the night before we had a big dinner and we came back and I was sitting on the floor and he stood there and he went work to work to work and went around the room and told stories on everything. And his, his expression was, every artist has a language and if you don't speak the language, you can't represent the work. And I've always... You know, I've always understood that if I had an artist work in the, the room and it either wasn't selling or it wasn't, 
sometimes it was me learning to communicate what is that artist to those who would be potentially there to buy it. And, and so for an artist who understands that right off the bat, so he, he knows that he has to be giving to those who are going to represent him and, and uh, that if he teaches them, then they will do well. And he's been always just so so free and open with information and questions. And uh, that's, just been, that's just been ongoing. And of course, he just lives by example too. He spends that time in the studio working. And, you know, so he's not a... He's not an artist caught up with uh, the internet and social media and all those things. He has a very minor and very respectful role with uh, that aspect with, without it becoming such a dominant factor. You know, when you're in the studio, that's what you do, is you work. And so that's also the example that he sets for everybody. And uh, you, know, you have to be a producing artist. So... Yeah, that's been something I've just had the, the privilege of watching all the time. That there's always something new up and coming, and he's interested. And you know, and then other things take years to finish, and you watch it over years, just coming up ever so slowly but wonderfully. So yeah, he yeah he's been a, a very powerful mentor. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I have his not not behind me, but I have his <laughs> the whole other room out there is pretty much. Robert, and I can only live with artists who I really like. And you know, so when you've had a relationship and a business relationship with somebody for 34 years, and you still walk into that room and look around and you like everything because you have that very positive connection to the artist that made them. That was Gary Wyatt. Gary's book, Echoes of the Supernatural, the Graphic Art of Robert Davidson, was a finalist for the 2023 Bill Duthie Booksellers Choice Award. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast. <laughs>